job's hard, their job's hard for different reasons. And it may not be so obvious uh, why, you know, they're reacting a certain way. So take a moment and pause and, and share a little bit of empathy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Freestar Presents Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kudashevich. If you're hearing me on the 16th, that means you just got back from Valentine's Day, possibly a President's Day day off, or just a nice weekend, which I hope was nice. We have a fantastic show for you today with our great conversation with Daniela Florio over at Foursquare. We talk about some merger news that the company went through mid-pandemic. Pretty interesting time to do that. Uh, and some just general insights and data uh, that she's observed uh, last year. One of the things that I really liked about our conversation that she highlighted was the work that she does dealing with different teams that typically have friction, sort of helping forge individual relationships with those people and their teams and really trying in earnest to bridge those gaps. Some of the things that I've been doing here with my own teams is is making uh, kind of friction champions, so to speak, where somebody just takes a different team at the company that we might normally have friction with and tries to work on different tactics and different strategies around bridging the gap, smoothing things out a bit more, and just making that work life as seamless as possible. That part of the conversation really rang true for me and actually helped me make some actionable changes with my own team here at Freestar. So hopefully you give it a listen and and have some great takeaways as well. So without further ado, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into the interview. I hope everybody enjoys it. And don't forget to leave us a glowing five-star review. Just absolutely glowing, please. And now welcome to the show, Daniela Florio, who is a B2B marketing leader who has witnessed firsthand how data and technology can solve both existing and emerging challenges for brands. Daniela currently serves as the head of performance and product marketing at Foursquare, the leading location technology platform powered by a deep understanding of how people move throughout the world. In her role, Daniela oversees a dynamic team of marketers responsible for bringing Foursquare's suite of products to life by designing go-to-market strategies that both delight customers and drive revenue. Prior to joining Foursquare, Daniela contributed to the success of multiple startups and large enterprises. Most recently, she introduced and developed the product marketing function at Integral Ad Science, a third-party verification company. She has also held positions at Shino's, Undertone, and McKinsey & Company. All right. Now, welcome to our show today, Daniela Florio from Foursquare. We're so happy to have you today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. So I'd like to just kind of kick things off, Daniela. Can you sort of talk us through your own you know, ad tech origin story, how you got into the business? Yeah. It's funny because if someone had told you know the, the college graduate version of me that I'd end up in ad tech startup world, she'd be like, say what? <laughs> go to law school or something like that's That's not my path. Needless to say, it took me a while to figure it out. So uh, I worked in industries and roles outside of ad tech and startup world uh, for several years after graduation. Fortunately, I, I picked up some very 
transferable skills in terms of being data-driven, in terms of being customer-centric. The way I was able to pivot into ad tech was essentially by being fortunate enough to pursue an MBA part-time. I went to school at night here at Fordham in New York City. Um, I specialized in marketing and new media and communications, and I realized that this was really what I wanted to do and what I what I felt I, I, I had skills to do successfully. So soon after graduation, I found myself at my first startup ad tech role at Undertone 10 years ago, almost to the day, shockingly. Uh, it was a premier ad network back then. That's, that's how they positioned themselves. And I started doing, um, I was more of like an analyst. I looked at campaign performance, ad effectiveness studies, put together recap reports. Uh, it was loads of fun. It was a great team, great organization. And I was fortunate at Undertone to get to know the great Tony Franklin, who's a good friend now. He was a VP of sales there at the time. And he recognized that I was better suited to talk to his customers about campaign performance and metrics than his salespeople. So he invited me out into the field and market to talk to customers and, and partner up with his team and, and him. And it was it taught me a lesson that I still carry today, which is it's so important for marketing and sales to have that partnership and that relationship and that collaborative spirit. And there will always be friction between marketing and sales, but if you get it right, the outcome of that collaboration can do so much. Can I ask you on that point? Like, yeah. what do you think is is sort of the way to, to remove some of that friction between those two groups? Well, similar to most situations, there's a level of empathy that everyone needs to bring to the table. <laughs> sure. um, try to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Your job's hard, their job's hard. It's for different reasons, and that it may not be so obvious uh, why you know they're reacting a certain way. So take a moment and pause and, and share a little bit of empathy. I do well one on one, so gain the trust and credibility of one salesperson, and they're going to go tell their friends, and vice versa. You know, salesperson's like, wow, that that marketer, that product marketer did something really great for me, um, and then more product marketers want to support you. Singing each other's praises and showing appreciation is great, and it starts usually at the one-on-one -on -one relationship. Um, and then don't forget that we're all working towards the same goal. <laughs> like we yeah. all ultimately are trying to drive some revenue for some organization, unless we're at a nonprofit where we're trying to drive some other more meaningful potentially goal. But yeah, we're, we're in this together. And so a quick reminder every so often that we need each other to accomplish that always helps. I like that. I, I definitely like that. And I, I appreciate the perspective. Yeah, I, I like your changing hearts and minds one person at a time. One person at a time. Yep. <laughs> so Daniela, sort of fast forwarding a little bit here and into your work and product marketing. I'd love to hear from your perspective, maybe a little high level on sort of your approach to a successful product rollout. It always seems so almost obvious or intuitive to me, but we so quickly forget that in order for a product rollout to be successful, you essentially need three things. Never forget about your customer. Like This isn't about your organization. Keep your customer top of mind throughout the entire process. What problem are you solving? What is the value you're delivering? How are you communicating to that persona? The other thing is, before you even put a strategy together, this is a cross-functional exercise, any product rollout. So it's not just about marketing. It's not just about sales. And there are fundamental questions that everyone involved needs to have the same answers to. Are we doing this because we want to acquire new customers or we're trying to keep our existing ones happy? Are we disrupting the industry with this product or feature or 
are we just one-upping a competitor? Like these are pretty fundamental. And before you can put together a strategy, let's make sure we're on the same page. And then from there, have those metrics. Everyone needs to understand what success looks like. And then the third thing is timing. You know, just because a product is ready, code is released, doesn't mean that it's ready to be sold. And so in an ideal state, a product roadmap and a marketing roadmap are aligned more often than not. That's not the case, but let's just be clear <laughs> that before it is sellable, before it's on the shelf, there's a certain level of readiness that needs to happen throughout an organization. The salespeople need to be armed, you know, support teams like client services, account management need to be armed, legal needs to know what's up. You know, we, you got to be able to put it in Salesforce. Like there's a lot of different components that need to be ready. So just because that product works doesn't mean that the next day someone should be turning it on. So timing and understanding among stakeholders in terms of what the goals and objectives are, and just always keeping that ultimate customer top of mind, I think, are the components to a successful rollout. I, I like that. I appreciate the different strategies there. You know, so when I was thinking about sort of your shift in, in your career, right? So you were at Integral Ad Science, and then now you're at Foursquare for a while now. That's a pretty significant shift in like the actual product offering itself, right? Maybe sort of the tactics of the work might be not all holistically different, but there's mindsets that change there. So I just like to hear, you know, your perspective on sort of making that adjustment from those, you know, pretty significantly different products. There's one thing that's similar about my time at IES that I experienced right off the bat at Foursquare, and it's that. The end goal was the same. Like we are trying to make sure that at the end of the day, advertisers are not minimizing the potential of their dollars, that brands are pushing their product and services. The means with which you get there, there are different things, there are different levers, there are different ingredients, and that's where IAS and Foursquare are different. But ultimately, we're trying to help brands bottom line. We're trying to ensure that their agencies, their publishers are doing what they can efficiently. And, and that's that's the goal. So that's a similarity there. That's where I guess similarities do start to end. At IES, we were very focused on the media, the impression itself, uh, the verification of it. And at Foursquare, we're looking at essentially human movement. Like we're looking at places data, we're looking at people data, we're trying to make sense of it. And how does that movement, how does that behavior, the way people navigate the world, where they go, what does that reveal to advertisers? How can they use that to maximize their bottom line? It's been really fascinating, especially given the lack of movement last year <laughs> and and, <laughs> and how how it's coming and going and, and how behaviors are changing. You're, you're now, you're tracking people from their bed to their <laughs> and back, right? Absolutely not. That sounds like a complete violation of privacy. <laughs> do not do that whatsoever. <laughs> No, that, that, that's, that's great to hear though, knowing that there's some similarities, but then also differences and sort of, I'm sure you've done a lot of like personal evolving and growing through that. The other thing I was kind of curious about, right? So earlier in 2020, the Foursquare and Factual merger was announced in April. Pretty wild time that I don't have to remind anybody <laughs> why it was so wild. You know, what were some of the challenges behind that level of partnership at probably the craziest time any of us will be alive. I hope at least. I mean, I hope so too, Jeff. Um, <laughs> there was, there were two main challenges. One right off the bat, and obviously this merger, this deal was in play before 
the world even started to go upside down. Um, and as we got closer to announcement, you know, those of us in the know were like, oh my God, are we really doing this right now? Like, is, is this actually happening now? Should right. we be going through with it? So it, it was almost like this challenge of convincing ourselves and then convincing the people of these two organizations who are about to come together that this was the right thing to do right now. The way we overcame that is we've reminded ourselves why we had decided to go down this path. And it's simply that we were, we are stronger together. So Factual brought, you know, this amazing targeting technology and all of their integrations. Uh, Foursquare had offline attribution technology and all of our measurement partners. We both had places data. It made sense for these pieces to come together across one platform. And it also helped that we just had similar culture, vision, you know, thoughts about how location could change things for our customers. That was still true at the time of the pandemic, like even more so. It was kind of like, if we can do this now, if we can integrate technology, merge cultures during this time, do it remote, like nothing is going to stop us coming out the other end. Like this is really going to forge this union. And to be honest, I don't know how well we would have fared separately, but together, like there was a renewed confidence that despite all this uncertainty, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and we'll be, we'll be rocking and rolling when it's time to rock and roll. And, you know, if you've been around longer than a couple of decades, like I have, like this too shall pass, we will get through this. And so let's hunker down. Let's, let's work hard. Let's, let's see what we can do together. The other challenge was, which I mentioned, you know, just doing it remote. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I am sure a lot of your listeners, you know, remember a very vibrant office culture, Foursquare headquarters in New York was super lively. I mean, people whiteboarding everywhere, people having lunch everywhere, just like constant face-to-face personal time. And I, I would imagine the factual headquarters in LA was the same. So for all of that to suddenly stop was a bit of a shock for all of us. And then to be told, and by the way, go integrate some tech and get to know each other and do it all on Hangouts. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other part too, right? You have all of these new humans that you will not be able to so much as share a coffee with in person for the foreseeable future. So there's there's you know that human element too, not just, hey, can the tech work when we're not whiteboarding together, but can we get along? <laughs> you know, are we not going to kill each other r- remotely, so to speak? Exactly. And with many challenges come opportunities. And what I saw and what I'm, what I'm proud of and what I think most of my colleagues will agree is that these new relationships and these continued relationships with one another, with our, you know, as colleagues, there was is that word empathy coming back. Like there was a level of empathy that existed and permeated throughout because there were things going on in the world bigger than what we were, you know, what we were about. And you needed to acknowledge that with almost every engagement, with every phone call. It's like, how are you? Like for real. <laughs> and so the other thing that happened that was really, I don't even know what the right word is, but we grieved together because of all of the you know, injustice that we saw, those those conversations that needed to be had about race and society and economic, like we leaned into it. We had community dialogues, just a lot of internal grieving together virtually, but it still happened and it still felt very real. And so I don't know how that would have played out in person, but it was certainly something that brought us together. And then, you know, we found opportunities to also 
deliver new types of value. Like, you know, obviously everyone was tracking location and location data, how people were moving. Like we were ensuring that we were providing that data to, you know, state officials so they can understand what's happening in their city. Like not everything that we were thinking about was, was about our bottom line all of a sudden. It, it became a bit more, okay, how can we help? We got involved with an organization called Tech for Black Founders. You know, there are not many startups that are led by Black leaders. And so we, in partnership with them, we are now offering our places database for free to those organizations so they can build app experiences and all kinds of fun things with our places data. There's been opportunities that wouldn't have existed before that I'm hopeful ultimately will have longing impact. So the dynamics of our relationships, I think, really benefited despite the fact that they couldn't happen in person. Like we couldn't have that party in New York after after we merged, <laughs> you know? For sure. It's great to hear. I love the the work that you guys are, are doing uh, that you kind of talked through. So it was it was awesome to hear, to be to be honest. That's fantastic that you guys sort of leaned into those things. Like from our side, we've been doing monthly uh, I guess you could call it happy hour. It's more like a discussion on different documentaries about different, you know, disenfranchised people, you know, mental health topics. So that's sort of been our our way to do that with our our staff. So I definitely love to hear what you guys are doing and certainly encourage, you know, other people in our space to to find their way if they haven't already. Shifting a little bit to more on the actual data that you look at and sort of, I'm sure there was no shortage of interesting things that 2020 brought uh, across your desk. So can you kind of talk us through some of the more interesting pieces of data that you found uh, through the year? Yeah, you know, right at the start, uh, we started putting out you know, blog posts and, and data stories about, you know, how people stopped moving and started moving, how it impacted different regions and verticals. And some of it was pretty obvious. No one's going to the airports anymore. <laughs> but what I found interesting was how, as things pick back up, how the rate of change has varied across different slices of the data. So for example, you know, gyms have opened back up, at least here in New York, I'm sure we're not the only ones. And it hasn't experienced the foot traffic as say salons and spas. Now everyone was doing self-care at home. Everyone was figuring out a workout routine at home, but that workout routine at home seems to be working. Those haircuts that, you know, wives might be giving their husbands or those like in-home facials may not be the same as actually going to one. So it's almost like I can adjust how I approach fitness potentially or, or consumers at large maybe may have changed how they approach fitness, but not necessarily how they approach self-care. Like taking self-care indoors may have been more temporary than permanent. So th those little, okay, what are you going to re-embrace? What are you going to embrace fully when you're capable of? And what are you not going to embrace as fully? And there were a few little interesting things when we cut the data by like demographics, like women were just a lot better at following the rules and not going outside <laughs> and staying home. Um, you know, there were certain males of a certain age that were out a little bit more. So that was kind of fun to see. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and then the areas that 
have you know done well during this time it's interesting to see like how how much like to what degree like whether you're talking about the liquor stores or you know the the hardware stores because everyone's doing diy or or the pet stores because everyone adopted a little puppy the degree to which foot traffic to those places has been interesting to watch but there's there's more to come you know as again as things begin to open hopefully maybe then close again maybe then open again behaviors and mindsets will continue to adapt, but then ultimately settle somewhere that may not look like it did at all a year or two ago. And so how do brands reconnect and, and get to know their consumers once again? And we believe it's by you know carefully looking at where they go in the real world, because that's an indication of who they are. So dumbbells at home are dumbbells <laughs> anywhere, but cutting my hair uh, in my bathroom Maybe not the same as at a salon. <laughs> Maybe not the same feeling. I, I don't know. What's wasn't there a tagline like that feeling you get out of a salon? That was a tagline for a, for a CPG brand. You know, as we're as we're embarking on this new year, twenty twenty one, kind of you know, from your professional life, what are some of the things that you're sort of looking forward to this year? I'm looking forward to seeing how the the new value that we're finally going to bring to our customers because of these big bets, because of this merger, because of the acquisition the year before, all of these changes that Foursquare has brought upon itself ultimately was to do more with our tech, deliver more value to our customers, expand to additional use cases. Um, yeah, we, we solve a lot of problems for advertisers, but we can solve a lot of other problems for other business models, other verticals, um, location data can serve itself for, you know, all kinds of analysis. Obviously, developers would love, you know, love tapping into our technology to create more engaging mobile app experiences. So, so really continuing to innovate. We made so far what seems to be some really good decisions. We were we came out of 2020 in a place that we feel pretty good about that we can continue to innovate and invest in that innovation. Outside of that, I'm particularly, I wouldn't say looking forward to, but I'm very curious about how the identity conversation is going to go. We're set up in a good place where we have the infrastructure to accept alternate forms of identity and our, and our products are nimble enough to adjust, but it's it's to be determined what what's going to happen to all of us. And so with all of our partners, we're hoping to shape that conversation. At the end of the day, we've been about privacy and consumer rights since day one, since we were, since we had our own consumer apps and, and that was our primary focus. So that'll be interesting. And then in terms of the team, we're going to continue to grow. And that's exciting because I was fortunate enough to, to find some great talent and hire some great talent this past year. And I'm looking forward to seeing who else we can bring on to help us you know, solve more solve more of the world's problems with location data, Jeff. Awesome. Well, I, I, I don't doubt it. Kind of the sort of last thing uh, we like to ask is just, you know, more holistically around some advice. So for somebody who's maybe interested in product marketing, getting into your field, any things you can share with that type of person, what they, what can help them break in or move up or anything like that? Product marketing looks different depending on the organization that you're looking at. So if you're just breaking into it, make sure you understand what it looks like at that org, because as a product marketer, you are focused on all kinds of things from messaging and positioning to 
you know, commercialization and go to market strategy to sales enablement. And depending on the stage of that company and the needs at that time, there are different areas that are going to require more focus than others. And I think you should know what you're getting into for a particular, like where, what stage are they at with product marketing? Like how sophisticated is it? Where are the needs? Especially if you're starting out in your career, I would recommend you really spend some time trying to understand if you believe in management and leadership. Like you need a strong manager who's going to ensure that that product marketing remit, that that scope of responsibility remains as it should be. Because People like to turn product marketers into sales enablers, into collateral factories, <laughs> into all kinds of things. And, and you need someone to back you up and be like, okay, look, we're focused on commercialization efforts for this feature. We're focused on, you know, really just creating these foundational positioning docs, uh, whatever it is, because it's very easy to be taken down a different track. And then you need to be, as I mentioned before, um, cross-functional. You got to be able to play well with sales. You want to be able to run with sales in those meetings. You want to get in the trenches with product. You want to collaborate with fellow marketers and account managers. Um, so if, if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to engage and have a lot of dependencies on other people, but know that they also depend on you, then it's probably not the right fit. But if you do like that, never a dull moment, <laughs> dealing with a lot of teams, dealing with a lot of personalities, then it certainly can be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Danielle, I really appreciate your time today. It was great chatting with you and uh, being able to pick your brain. I really liked your points about you know, dealing with the friction uh, on the teams that usually have some friction and sort of you know the big mergers and how you guys have dealt with those and all of the things that have come with that. So um, yeah, it was great. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you. It was really great chatting with you too. What a great conversation with Daniela. I loved hearing when she really talked through sort of making sure that just when a product is quote unquote done, doesn't mean it's actually ready for prime time and really needing sign off from the other teams to really make it truly production ready. And just some of the ways that they dealt with some of the challenges around, you know, the bigger topics like uh, doing a merger mid pandemic. I hope everybody had a great listen. Before we go, remember to please make sure you're subscribed to the Blood, Sweat, and CPMs podcast on your preferred podcast service, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or any others. If you can, it would really help us out if you gave us a five-star rating on your service of choice, or at the very least, share it with a friend. If you have suggestions or feedback, or even a tip for a guest we should feature, email us at podcast at freestar.com. Our production team includes Lauren Goveo and Caroline Romano, editing done by Paolo Bautista, and special thanks to our music provided by Matt Hanline. This has been a Publisher First production. Until next time, don't forget to add your macros.